0: This feels a lot different than sitting up here at 9.45 at night with with those of you who venture out with me late into the evening. Um, So in case you're not aware in terms of the energy that's sitting up here, this is my maiden voyage into (laughs) Dharma speaking in this Dharma hall. And it's um, actually a bit surreal because this is my... Dharma home. This is the retreat center I've been coming to for the past 20, 25 years um, and have made the journey all the way from being there where you are um, through many, 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 many times and roads uh, to end up here. So just to acknowledge that. So before I really uh, start getting into what I'm going to talk about, I just really want to acknowledge you and um, offer my great gratitude for your practice. You know, it's been um, quite an honor to sit with you in groups um, and hear what's so for you and to really be present to a real um, intentionality about using your time here. to move yourself along the journey and path that you're on. So just wanted to really honor and acknowledge that. So when I was thinking about what I was going to talk about, um, it occurred to me that, just as we did the chanting this evening, that uh, on retreat, we begin our retreats and often throughout the retreats um, taking refuge And doing the precepts, but we don't really ever talk too much about what that's about. Uh, Maybe the precepts a bit, but not so much the refuges. So um, I thought I'd do that. And then I started looking around in books and materials, and there wasn't a whole lot written about it. And I said to myself, well, of all the things I might have chosen to speak about, (laughs) this is where I am. And then the next thought was, well, this is where dharma's placed me. Um, and and as I think about just the, the sitting here and, you know, Buddha's got my back and uh, <laughs> I got my dharma teachers on the side, my mom's and pop's in the dharma, <laughs> and uh, then I have A multitude of sanghas, there's all of you, and um, within you, there are other smaller sanghas that have been with me along my journey, and uh, my colleague in training, Sabine, who's been very, very supportive of me as I uh, took this, what feels like, big step this evening. Uh, So I think the only disclaimer that I have is that I am going to read my Dharma talk, there's no, you know, on the one hand, I'm very, very blessed to be trained and um, sitting with these two masterful teachers and these two um, totally heart human beings, but it's a high bar. <laughs> 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 um, not from them, but from what I do with that. Um, so I wasn't even going to attempt to try to um, do it as they do it. And at this point, I don't even know what it'll look like when I do it like I do it. Uh, (laughs) uh, But for tonight, how I'm going to do it is I'm going to read it. And so (laughs) I'll try to be as interesting and uh, have all the right inflections and all of that. But uh, it's definitely not going to be a kid of sorrow either. So uh, the other thing, and, and I'm just noticing really now how the body has kind of like settled down. Um, but over the last 24 hours, this body's been in a lot of places, a lot of places. And this morning, um, uh, those of you that come to the morning um, uh, chant and sit, know that I don't quite make that um, But this morning, my eyes popped open at 4.30, and there was this great feeling of energy in the body, um, which felt very challenging to contain. And so I got up and uh, went to the window and spent about 45 minutes just being in relationship with outside. I hadn't been outside for five days. And although it was dark and too cold to go out early this morning, I stood at the window and looked at the stars and the trees and the snow, and it really helped me to contain so that I could get through the rest of the day and write this for you uh, and now read it. So uh, I hope my offering is, uh, I know it will will be received with open arms, and I hope that there's a bit in here, if not more, that uh, touches you in some way. first, I'm going to read a little short poem by Rumi. Sometimes you hear a voice through the door calling you. As a fish out of water hears the waves. Come back. Come back. This turning towards what you deeply love saves you. Understanding the interdependency and conditional nature of all things is essential to awakening. When we set the intention to be skillful and reflect on our choices and their results, we open to a very rich area of inquiry that produces ongoing positive effects in our lives. It is probably fair to say that for many of us, we come to this process of meditation out of a need to understand ourselves, the need to clarify the confusion we live in. Many of us want to be free, we want to understand, we want to realize, to see for ourselves what it is all about. Often, we come fed up with books. We have read enough. We have listened enough. We've met enough wise people. We have done everything we could to understand and yet that understanding remains elusive. Second-hand knowledge somehow is not satisfactory and in the end will not lead to the realization of freedom. We want to experience for ourselves what all these wise people and all the wise teachings are saying. As long as there is no realization of the truth of our mind, there's no real understanding. The whole concept or the whole uh, practice of taking refuge um, in in my reading and, and putting this together Um, It occurred to me, um, as was mentioned in one of the resources that I used, that all of us um, uh, have to find a way to make sense of living. And one of the ways that uh, is suggested is through this ritual or this process or this uh, uh, practice of taking refuge. People like Martin Luther King Jr., Victor Frankl, Gandhi, Nelson Mandela, Joan of Arc, Harriet Tubman, to live the lives they lived or are living, to leave the legacies they've left, to exist to end justice or injustice, to survive devastating conditions, to move mountains. To save hundreds of slaves through the Underground Railroad, to move a nation, had to have faith in a greater purpose for themselves and the world. To make it through this life, we need to each find our sense of purpose to orient and support ourselves amidst the fragmented pulls of our busy lives and the chaos devastation, hatred, and destruction that seems to be continually escalating in this world we live in. I think for many of us, the ability to remain deluded to the fact that there is much challenge and crisis afoot, and to meet this world as it is and where it is, whether ourselves, the individual, in relationship to our own small worlds, or the larger community of beings, including the earth, we must have some survival tools that actually allow us to thrive and be a contribution to others. We can begin here by taking refuge. Refuge offers support for our journey as we move through the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows in a lifetime through gain and loss, through peace and chaos. In taking refuge, we reaffirm and remember our sacred connection with the world. Refuge is not necessarily religious. Refuge can be as simple as making conscious our trust in a lineage of teachings. We may take refuge in a higher power, such as Aa, where it is shown that such faith has proven to be transformative for thousands of people around the world. Much of the success of 12-step programs and other support groups rests on faith and in the power of their Sangha, the conscious community that is created. We thrive with faith. Our faith may be spiritual, or clearly non-religious. A faith in the natural world, in the unborn generations ahead, in life itself. To live wisely, we need to find a trusting connection to the world. Taking refuge reorients our life. Our refuge becomes a touchstone, a wellspring to draw from at every challenge we face. In this tradition, we include in our training taking refuge. In Buddhism, taking refuge is the door we walk through as we engage, integrate, and metabolize the words and the practices on our journey towards freedom. an examination into where do we find ourselves looking for a safe place, a sanctuary. Where do we find that? And when we do, do we really? What do we rely on? Most often brings us to the realization and recognition that we have been resting or relying on something or someone that was not really true at all. Where what might we be taking refuge? In relationship? What have we invested? We cling to others, being in relationship through attachment or fear or laziness. Work, perhaps? What have we invested there? if only I could get that job, if only I could get that raise, if only my boss was more manageable. Then there's school, money, housing, depression, the physical body. When you stop and think for a moment where have you been taking refuge And where has it landed you? This practice is not here to make us suffer. We only suffer because we have not practiced wisely. Because we have not done what is necessary to let go of ignorance. To let go of our attachments. It is important to acknowledge that perhaps It is false perception that because we are practicing, we have to be terribly serious and feel that unless we experience some pain or hardship, that somehow something is not quite right. To this day, I oftentimes get caught up in that trap, that mind state of aversion or attachment, like last night. It seems we really believe that unless we go through some kind of hardship, we would not be able to let go or let it be. It is true that more often than not, unless it hurts, our ignorance is not acknowledged. If it does not hurt, we can go on forever without being really aware of it. And hurting ourselves and making deeper and deeper habit patterns. This seems to be our human predicament. Unless something hurts we don't really wake up. We don't open up our eyes and look. So whether once or often or every day to recite the refuges as a reminder out of our habits, we take refuge in things like anger and worry. We tend to take refuge in self-pity or pleasure, distraction, obsession with ourselves, or wanting to eat or sleep all the time, and then take refuge in feeling guilty about eating or sleeping. So we have a habitualized tendency to take refuge in the non skillful things, things that make us unhappy. If we did not have reminders, if we did not have skillful means to bring us back into consciousness around what's really important in life, we would forget ourselves and never see the way out of suffering. Going for refuge is an act by which the new Convert acknowledges the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha as guiding ideals. Uh, One of the Buddha's comments on moral discipline. There are, O monks, eight streams of merit, streams of the wholesome, nourishments of happiness, that are heavenly, ripening in happiness, conducive to heaven, and that lead to whatever is wished for, loved and agreeable to one's welfare and happiness. What are the eight? Taking refuge in the Buddha, taking refuge in the Dhamma, taking refuge in the Sangha, and the keeping of precepts, It's seen as a protection and a blessing for all. The Parable of the Raft from the Majjhima Nikaya. Monks, I will teach you the parable of the raft for getting across, not for retaining. It is like a man who, going on a journey, sees a great stretch of water, the near bank with dangers and fears, but there is neither a boat for crossing over nor a bridge across. It occurs to him that to cross over from the perils of this bank to the security of the farther bank, he should fashion a raft out of sticks and branches and depending on the raft cross over to safety. When he has done that, it occurs to him that the raft has been very useful, and he wonders if he ought to take it with him on his head or on his shoulders. What do you think, monks, that the man is doing what should he do? What should excuse me, that the man is doing what he should be done to the raft? No, Lord. what should that man do, monks? When he has crossed over to the beyond, he must leave the raft and proceed on his journey. Monks, a man doing this would be doing what should be done to the raft. In this way I have taught you. Dhamma, like the parable of the raft, for getting across, not for retaining. You monks, by understanding the parable of the raft, must not cling to right states of mind and all the more to wrong states of mind. One of the things that uh, struck me when I was reading that parable is it's almost like the, um, the refuges are the, the building of the raft, like it's the doorway, it's the open way, it's the initial um, action and understanding that sets us solidly on course uh, for the study and practices that we are engaging with this week towards our efforting towards freedom and knowing what is truly nature. If the foundation is not strong, if you build like a rickety old raft, you're not going to make it across. So there's something about being attentive and present and grounded in the beginning as you move forward from there that set up the conditions and the uh, states of being that are most productive for what we're engaged in here. Noble Friendship or Sangha. Then the Venerable Ananda approached the Lord, prostrated himself, and sat to one side. Sitting there, the Venerable Ananda said to the Lord, half of this holy life, Lord, is good and noble friends. Companionship with the good, association with the good. Do not say that, Ananda it is the whole of this holy life this friendship companionship and association with the good perhaps for many of you by now you have begun to recognize that you are not learning a whole lot that it's new it is more like you are in the process of remembering the spiritual truths are not out there somewhere in a book in a talk on a video not something you sign on for. It's intrinsically in us, closer than we have allowed ourselves to know prior to taking on this practice. We forget. We don't really listen. We don't remember to listen. There is much about this path that at its core is about forgetting and remembering. It is the nature of things. The act of going for refuge marks the point where you commit yourself to taking the Dharma as the primary guide for living one's life. Taking relief from internal and external dangers, one becomes committed to living in line with the principles that actions based on skillful intentions lead to happiness. An ancient practice it is still relevant for our practices today. We are faced with the same internal dangers that faced people in the Buddha's time. We still need the same protection as they did. When we take refuge, it is essentially an act of taking refuge in the doctrine of karma. It is an act of surrender and that one is committed to aligning the life that is lived with the principles and understanding of karma, cause and effect. To take refuge in this way ultimately means to take refuge in the quality of our intentions, for that's where the essence of karma lies. From the Dhammapada. They go to many a refuge, to mountains, forests, parks, trees and shrines people threatened with danger. That's not the secure refuge. That's not the highest refuge. That's not the refuge having gone to, which you gain release from all suffering and stress. But when having gone for refuge to the Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha, you see with right discernment the Four Noble Truths, stress, the cause of stress, the transcending of stress, and the Noble Eightfold Path, the way to the stilling of stress. That's the secure refuge. That, the highest refuge, that is the refuge, having gone to which you gain release from all suffering and stress. There are a number of ways to help us remember meditation, collective rituals being in nature, reconnecting with a sense of spirit and aliveness. In this tradition, the first step in taking us towards the remembering who we really are is the taking of refuge, refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. The three refuges are also referred to as the triple jewels or gems. They are called this because they are valuable, And because in those ancient times, gems were thought to have protective powers. These gems do create through practice, the protective powers against greed, aversion and delusion. The triple gem far surpasses other gems because in this respect, its protective powers can be put to the test and can lead further than those of any physical gem all the way to absolute freedom from the uncertainties of the realms of aging, sickness, and death. To Bhikkhu. A person taking refuge in the Buddha is not asking for the Buddha to personally intervene to provide protection. Still, one of the Buddha's central teachings is that human life is fraught with dangers. From greed, anger, and delusion, And so the concept of refuge is central to the path of practice. The practice is aimed at gaining release from these dangers. Because the mind is the source both of the dangers and of the release, there is a need for two levels of refuge. External refuges, which provide models and guidelines so that we can identify which qualities in the mind lead to danger and which to release. The internal level is where true refuge is found. On the internal level the external models, for instance the Buddha was a person of wisdom, purity and compassion. When we develop wisdom, purity and compassion in our own minds they form our refuge on an internal level the Buddha tasted awakening by developing conviction, persistence, mindfulness, concentration, and discernment. When we develop these same qualities to the point of attaining awakening too, that awakening is our ultimate refuge. This is the point where the three aspects of the Triple Gem become one, beyond the reach of greed, anger, and delusion, and thus, totally secure. Traditionally, traditionally, there are three levels of Buddhist refuge, outer, inner, and innermost. On the outer level, we take refuge in the historical Buddha, a remarkably wise human being who pointed the way to inner freedom, who found the way through his lived experience. It is not the man, Siddhartha Gautama, we take refuge in, but the fact of his awakening. Trusting in the belief that he did awaken to the truth and that he did this by developing qualities that we too can develop and that the truths to which he awoke provide a best perspective for the conduct of our lives. We take refuge in the Dharma, the teachings, the teachings of generosity, compassion and wisdom that bring freedom. The Dhamma, the path of practice the Buddha taught his followers, the words of the teaching, the act of putting the teachings into practice, and the attainment of awakening as a result of that practice. This three-pointed understanding of the word Dhamma actually acts as a map directing us on how to take the external refuges and make them internal by learning about the teaching, using them to develop the qualities that the Buddha himself used to attain awakening and then causing the realization of the same release from the dangers that he found in the quality of freedom that we can touch inside. We take refuge in the Sangha, in the Buddhist community of awakened beings. This outer refuge connects us to tradition and to millions of followers to the Buddha's path. There are two senses of the external level of Sangha, the historical ancestral lineage of the community of monks and nuns and lay people who have practiced the Dharma and who have gained a glimpse of the freedom that is available and The communities of monks and nuns and lay people, who though may not all be reliable models of behavior, have helped keep the teachings alive for more than 2500 years. So when looking for guidance in the conduct of our lives, we must look for the living examples provided by the ideal Sangha. Through this example, we can know that awakening is available to all, and not just the Buddha, and how awakening expresses itself in real life. Taking the inner refuge of the Buddha. Taking the inner refuge, we shift from the historical Buddha to the Buddha nature in all beings. We take refuge in the potential for awakening in everyone we meet. The inner refuge of the Dhamma shifts from the outer teachings to the inner truth to seeing things the way they are. We commit ourselves to follow the truth and live in accord with it. The inner Sangha shifts from the Buddhist community to all beings dedicated to awakening we take refuge in this stream. Taking the innermost refuge to the Buddha, so there's three levels. Here we take refuge in the timeless consciousness and the ultimate taste of freedom. As Ajahn Chah explains, we take refuge in the Buddha, but what is this Buddha? When we see with the eye of wisdom We know that the Buddha is timeless, unborn, unrelated to any body, any history, any place. Buddha is the ground of all being, the realization of the truth of the unmoving mind. The Buddha was not enlightened in India. In fact, he was never enlightened, was never born and never died. This timeless Buddha is our true home, our abiding place. Taking Refuge in the Innermost Dharma We rest in the eternal freedom. Zen ancestor Huang Po's words proclaim Your true nature is something never lost to you even in the moments of delusion, nor is it gained at the moment of enlightenment. It is the nature of your own mind, the source of all things, your original luminous brilliance. You, the richest person in the world, have been going around laboring and begging when all the while the treasure you seek is within you. It is who you are. To be in touch with the ordinariness of life is something very challenging for us because we are conditioned towards getting our energy through things that are interesting or stimulating or we focus our attention on the next thing, on what's going to happen next. Unless we have guidance and help from wise people, from people who have an understanding of the path, we tend to do our spiritual practice in the same way as we live life. We are still looking for the excitement, for something special, for the big bang, for the flashing lights, for the super insights that's going to solve all your problems. With practice, there is a change in our relationship with our mind. Being in harmony with Dharma, Is making peace with whatever is going on now with the way things are. The natural process of the realization of Dharma is the awareness that life is a constant opportunity to give, to be generous, to be kind, to be in service in whatever situation we are in as we let go or let be We don't get caught up and obsessed with ourselves. We can actually be useful. We can help, we can give, we can encourage ourselves and the people around us. When we take refuge in the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha, all things become our teacher. Life itself is our teacher and there comes the realization and proclamation that there is one true nature of which we are all a part. Don't turn away. Keep your eyes on the wounded places. That's where the light enters. Rumi. The ritual of taking refuge can transform our consciousness. And one of the resources that I was leaving, the uh, reading, uh, the story was told about a man who was in jail, uh, who was gonna be in prison for a long time, basically. He had a life sentence and he started studying the Dharma and practicing while he was in prison. Um, and he would use it in relating to conflicts and engaging with the security guards and the other prisoners and He was doing okay, and his teacher uh, came to prison and offered the precepts, for him to take the precepts. So he took the precepts, and he took refuge in the Dharma. And a couple of weeks after that, he was transferred to a different prison, and there was a lot, lot, lot of problems at this prison. And he really had to stand on uh, the refuge that he had engaged with when he took refuge and the precepts with his teacher and uh, what he said uh, in this different environment that was so much more challenging but where he felt he had the groundedness and understanding to uh, be able to successfully negotiate being in that place that he was was this is what he said everybody's got to have refuge in something to get through here which is very much like life so there you go. <laughs> uh, so let's sit a while. Uh, gonna read a poem while we're sitting, and then we'll move forth from there for the evening. <clears throat> The Awakening, author, is unknown. A time comes in your life when you finally get, when in the midst of all your fears and insanity, you stop dead in your tracks and somewhere the voice inside your head cries out, enough, enough fighting and crying and blaming and struggling to hold on. Then like a child quieting down after a tantrum, you blink back your tears and begin to look at the world through new eyes. This is your awakening. You realize it's time to stop hoping and waiting for something to change or for happiness, safety, and security to magically appear over the next horizon. You realize that in the real world there aren't always fairy tale endings and that any guarantee of happily ever after must begin with you, and in the process, a sense of serenity is born of acceptance. You awaken to the fact that you are not perfect and that not everyone will always love, appreciate, or approve of who or what you are, and that's okay. They are entitled to their own views and opinions. You learn the importance of loving and championing yourself And in the process, a sense of newfound confidence is born of self-approval. You stop complaining and blaming other people for the things they did to you or didn't do for you. And you learn that the only thing you can really count on is the unexpected. You learn that people don't always say what they mean or mean what they say, and that not everyone will always be there for you and everything isn't always about you. So you learn to stand on your own and to take care of yourself. And in the process, a sense of safety and security is born of self-reliance. You stop judging and pointing fingers, And you begin to accept people as they are and to overlook their shortcomings and human frailties. And in the process, a sense of peace and contentment is born of forgiveness. You learn to open up to new worlds and different points of view. You begin reassessing and redefining who you are and what you really stand for. You learn the difference between wanting and needing and you begin to discard the doctrines and values you've outgrown or should never have bought into to begin with. You learn that there is power and glory in creating and contributing and you stop maneuvering through life merely as a consumer looking for your next fix. You learn that principles such as honesty and integrity are not the outdated ideals of a bygone era but the mortar that holds together the foundation upon which you must build a life. You learn that you don't know everything. It's not your job to save the world, and that you can't teach a pig to sing. You learn the only cross to bear is the one you choose to carry, and that martyrs get burned at the stake. (laughs) Then you learn about love, You learn to look at relationships as they really are and not as you would have them be. You learn that alone does not mean lonely. You stop trying to control people, situations and outcomes. You learn to distinguish between guilt and responsibility and the importance of setting boundaries and learning to say no. You also stop working so hard at putting your feelings aside, smoothing things over, and ignoring your needs. You learn that your body really is your temple. You begin to care for it and treat it with respect. You begin to eat a balanced diet, drinking more water and taking more time to exercise. You learn that being tired fuels doubt, fear, and uncertainty, and so you take more time to rest. And just as food fuels the body, laughter fuels our soul. So you take more time to laugh and to play. You learn that for the most part, you get in life what you deserve, and that much of life truly is a self-fulfilling prophecy. You learn that anything worth achieving is worth working for and that wishing for something to happen is different than working towards making it happen. More importantly, you learn that in order to achieve success, you need direction, discipline, and perseverance. You learn that no one can do it all alone and that it's okay to risk asking for help. You learn the only thing you must truly fear is fear itself. You learn to step right into and through your fears because you know that whatever happens, you can handle it. And to give in to fear is to give away the right to live life on your own terms. You learn to fight for your life and not to squander it living under a cloud of impending doom. You learn that life isn't always fair You don't always get what you think you deserve and that sometimes bad things happen to unsuspecting good people and you learn not to always take it personally. You learn that nobody's punishing you and everything isn't always somebody's fault. It's just life happening. You learn to admit when you are wrong and to build bridges instead of walls. You learn that negative feelings such as anger, envy, and resentment must be understood and redirected or they will suffocate the life out of you and poison the universe that surrounds you. You learn to be thankful and to take comfort in many of the simple things we take for granted, things that millions of people upon the earth can only dream about, a full refrigerator, Clean running water, a soft warm bed, a long hot shower. Then you begin to take responsibility for yourself, by yourself, and you make yourself a promise to never betray yourself and to never ever settle for less than your heart's desire. You make it a point to keep smiling, to keep trusting, and to stay open to every wonderful possibility. You hang a wind chime outside your window so you can listen to the wind. Finally, with courage in your heart, you take a stand, you take a deep breath, and you begin to design the life you want to live as best you can. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.